my worry about real estate because I worry about anything that's at all-time highs. It's at all-time highs. I said the same thing in 2018 in cannabis. I came into cannabis publicly in 2000, end of 2017, and I said the cannabis market is going to come down. There will be a crash at some point, and I think it's coming this year. And and I was I was right. So the question is this, how do most agents who don't have access to the secrets the top agents in our industry hoard themselves, grow and prosper in today's real estate market? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Muchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Hi, Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui, and I am so excited to share with you our newest head podcast sponsor, You know, and this is a company called Rent Ready. Rent Ready is a landlord-tenant software that has everything you need to manage your rentals from your phone or your computer. No need to be tech savvy, download multiple programs, or hire a specialist. Rent Ready is easy to use for everyone, and if you do have a question, their customer support team is available to make sure managing your properties doesn't have to be harder than it already is. RentReady has a feature for every step of the landlord process. You can list your vacancy for free to Realtor.com and doorsteps, find quality tenants with a full tenant screening process, send and e-sign leases right from the app, and track maintenance requests. Yes, there really is one app for all of that. Best of all, not only is RentReady easy to use with awesome customer service, but it's affordable as well. Get a subscription of RentReady for as little as $1 a year when you sign up for their annual plan using code ROCKSTAR. Now that's crazy, a dollar a year, why wouldn't you go sign up just to see, even if you've got one tenant or wanna try it with one of them? So that's right, you get a whole year of Rent Ready for just $1 when you sign up at rentready.com, it's spelled R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com, using code ROCKSTAR. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, this week, you guys are going to get a treat. You know, every week I do a state of the market and I thought this week I would do a super unique one. So I reached out to you know, a friend of mine that I know, uh, Cody Sanchez. You know, Cody is doing so much content right now, whether it's on social media, whether it's on her newsletter. I've seen her speaking on multiple different stages about multiple different things. I've seen, you know, speak at the, the One Life conference about just inspiration and where we went to, you know, at Go, in GoBundance. A lot of you guys have heard us talk about our GoBundance mastermind. She's, you know, she helps out a lot of, you know, the millionaires there about what to do. The, one of the, the fun ways to introduce Cody is she's a refer, reformed journalist turned institutional investor. You know, she helps do all sorts of different investments that we're going to get into today. The, she has a bunch of fun little hustles. Some are real estate related, some aren't. And my favorite thing that she's working on right now um, that I reached out to her after getting one was this contrarian thinking blog. And so we've been talking about the news a lot. You know, real estate agents, you guys are entrepreneurs at heart. But contrarian thinking, it's like, you know, when you just look at that, to me, that means looking at it from a different angle or maybe the opposite angle. So I'm going to get into that with her. But the Cody, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. It's uh, lovely to get a chance to ask uncomfortable questions, which is why I love podcasts. So I'm going to harass you right back. Yes. The, well, that's, that's even more fun, right? So people that, that run the podcast aren't used to the questions and all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, what the, we like, yes, a lot of guys like asking questions. I just like talking. I like getting to have fun conversations. We record it like, a, you know, and everybody gets to be a fly on the wall. If we jump into contrarian thinking, 
what made you start doing that newsletter, right? And the and is it what I you know I see it as contrarian is like looking at it from the total opposite way. Is that your is that your plan with that? Yeah. Well, you know what was interesting is I used to be a. Um, sort of a war correspondent and focusing particularly on issues along the U.S.-Mexico border. So I started off doing, you know, conflict journalism and asking a lot of really uncomfortable questions. And as I progressed through investing, you know, more traditional realms like investment banking and asset management and private equity, I realized that the overarching theme for me in good investors and good business people is really one thing, that they know how to question correctly, that they question everything, that they're not afraid to look stupid, that they don't pretend like they know everything. And the people who do pretend like they know everything actually are the ones to watch out for. And so, you know, I didn't get a lot of chances in my previous uh, profession to ask the uncomfortable questions. And so, you know, with everything going on in the world today, I realized all of us are absolutely absolutely losing this ability to have constructive debate. I mean, I even think about like Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, and, you know, you know, she just passed and that's a tragedy. But one of the most amazing things about RBG, in my opinion, is that she was able to hold incredibly close relations with people who were her complete and utter sort of intellectual opposite from the political spectrum. And so, um, you know, even though she disagreed with them on almost every standpoint, she could be very close friends um, with some of the other justices on the other side of the coin. And so I just reached out to a bunch of friends and, you know, and you were one of the people on the list and was like, we've lost the ability to communicate and debate and to question things. I think that is the biggest motivator for success is your ability to do that. And so let's stimulate a conversation that's not clickbait and social media and pushing one side and allow for a space where everybody can ask uncomfortable questions. And that's how I got to contrarian thinking. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I even get chills as you talk about our, our, you know, RGB and the and I remember watching the, you know, the documentary on that and how she was close. She would go on vacations with the other justices that she was always arguing against, but she could be their friend. And wouldn't that be an amazing world that we could live in? So I'm trying to share the news all over social media and email with our newsletters and everything and our podcast. And there are still times when we get nervous. When we get worried, if we're actually, and even by sharing pure news, you're like, hey, I believe this to be a fact. I believe it to be news and no controversy, you know, but still have to worry about the controversy around it to say, could I be sharing this right now? It seems like, uh, you know, maybe it seems like a long time ago now, you know, the, where people could have differing opinions. You could, you know, go, debate back and forth. And then afterward, you could shake hands and go golf together and things. And the, it does feel like it's a more, you know, everyone knows a more polarized world where we, where some people are afraid to even share their opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. So I think it's, you know, and people think about it just in a political sphere today. But when I look at it, I think about it from your career, from the ability of uh, you to look at investments and see if investments are good, bad, or otherwise. I see it sort of shaking out across everything we do. And there's this, you know, feeling of conformity to whatever, you know, the national narrative is or whatever is seemingly politically correct, or even what people think is, you know, the right way to do things in business. And if you push back on that, people don't like it. And I think about that in investing a lot. I'm not sure about it in real estate, but in investing, what I do, having a blog that's about contrarian thinking and you know posting and writing a lot is not very normal. In private equity, it's almost zero people do this. The, only, the person who broke that for a lot of us was uh, Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio runs a hedge fund, but he went out there and started like sharing how he invests and publicly before only venture capital firms did that. And so 
you know, people think it's weird. And I'm sure it's the same for you. They're like, Erin, aren't you successful? Why are you doing this like content thing? You know? Rockstar Nation, this is Aaron Muchastegi. Hey, I hate to interrupt the current podcast that you're listening to, but I am so excited to share this with you. I just finished interviewing the original host of this podcast, my good friend, Pat Hyben. Yeah, I got to talk to Pat about how he started his real estate career and a whole bunch of tips and tactics that he used to be successful. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go check out State of the Market number 49. On there, I get to talk to Pat about all those different things. You know, and in there too, he talked a lot about his six steps for seven figures book and training program that he built over the last couple of years. And I realized I haven't done a good enough job of reminding all of you lately about all of the resources that we built for you out there. So if you want to check out Pat's course, we've got like a three minute summary video when you go to it. It includes so many easy to follow tips that you can follow on it like a day to day basis. You can email reminders, all sorts of different things that come with that course. You find that you go to rebusuniversity.com, R-E-B-U-S, rebusuniversity.com. Look at courses. You can find the six steps for seven figures book. And really there's a whole bunch of other courses in there too. Our normal prices used to be $1,500 or $2,000 a course. These are real deal professional courses. But now uh, during quarantine, a lot of them are priced down like 90 bucks, 95 bucks. So we've slashed the prices so we know right now is the time for everybody to be focusing on growth and education, especially while they're feeling like they don't have as much to do. And if you go in there and you figure like, like there's a lot of different courses you want, Maybe you don't want to buy the a la carte. You can go to futureofrealestatetraining.com and you can get access to all of our different courses for 97 bucks a month. I think there's a discount on there if you go a year or there's even like a lifetime option that you can pay. You get access to every course we ever put on Rebus University for as long as we have it. So go check out those options, Rebus University or futureofrealestatetraining.com. All right, back to your podcast. Sorry for the interruption. When we just released our foreclosure book, I had several people reach out to me and say, why are you sharing your secrets? Are you giving up? Are you like, are you throwing in the towel? And it was like, no, we got, there's plenty to go around. Like there's, there's, you know, there's a, it's not a scarcity mindset anymore. Like I could tell everybody all my secrets on how I do stuff and it's not going to crush my business. If it does, I'm not very good at my job. That's exactly right. And you're not innovating. You know, that's the other thing is you know, we tell people all the time how to invest, how to grow businesses, how to pick businesses. But the crazy thing is nobody listens. And I was just ranting about this yesterday because um, actually my partner in one of the businesses, uh, Ryan Snow, who you know from Unconventional Acquisitions, yeah. we had one person that was like, yes, I really want to buy a business someday. And I was like, oh, someday. That's word is just the killer of dreams. You know, you should take action on the things you want to do even a little bit every day. Yeah. And the rules change. Like the rules are so much different today than they were in February. Like seven months later, maybe it's six months later, the rules have completely changed. And the, you know, and it's, it's kind of like investing in stocks. Everybody goes, man, I wish I would have invested in that one last month, or I wish I would have sold that one last month. It's really easy in hindsight when there's just so much of, I wish I would have, but there's, there's a lot of big opportunities in the world right now where it's kind of like, you know what, no matter what, if you look at the stock market, you could say, hey, no matter, I, I would bet almost no matter what, 20 years from now, it'll be worth more than this today or 40, you know, it's over time, there's those law of averages. And so a lot of these different opportunities people have right now, there's going to be some ups and downs, but jump in now because in a few years, you know, and, and probably no matter what, five, 10 years, just about everything goes up. And maybe there's a different way of thinking with that. You know, it's, I love 
I love the blog and for listeners out or the, the it's not a, it's, it's a blog, but it's a newsletter for listeners out there. Like looking at some of these, you know, stop asking permission to profit, make 1900% more versus rental properties. Careful what you chase income stacking and attention arbitrage, you know, dirt at 180% returns media, hundred percent broken, like so many cool things in the, there. And these aren't small newsletters, like for how often you're pushing them out. I'm shocked because it's not like a two minute read. It's not a five minute read. It's a two minute read if I'm gonna choose one of the sections, but you've got like eight different sections in each of them with graphics and everything. And I just, how does she put this together and how does she keep coming up with this much content? The, so is it, are, are you always looking? Did you have like this stack of stuff? Like when you see something, you're like, I'm gonna talk about this this week. I'm gonna talk about this this week. Yeah, well, there's a couple tools I use that are really cool. Um, for content management, I use a tool called Notion, which I really like. It's a mm -hmm. content ma management software and essentially allows you to schedule everything out and have inspiration and mood boards, not dissimilar to Pinterest, where I sort of keep all my running ideas. Plus, I'm sure you're similar, but I can't help but see the world through the lens of ideas for writing and ideas for making money. I mean, my 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 you know, fiance jokingly talks about it. Like if it doesn't make you money uh, or make an impact, you're uninterested in it. And it's, it's actually very true. Like the weather don't care what's happening with Sally. The neighbor couldn't care less. Um, you know, if it's not something that I think is going to make an impact or have monetary success, because I think money can make a huge impact. I'm not really that interested in it. And, um, and so, you know, everything I see has that lens. And I joke with this about, you know, the, the students who work with us on buying businesses that once you have like, the ability to see business buying opportunities or to see investment opportunities. It's sort of like, you know how you, when you buy a new car, Aaron, and you get like a Range Rover, right? And when you buy the Range Rover, you're like, you don't notice that many of them. And then you buy the Range Rover and then they're everywhere. And you yeah. everywhere you go, you see the car that you bought, right? And that's what I think happens once you flip your mindset to start questioning things. And then you walk into a business and you're like, oh my God, they're not optimizing this, this, and this. They could be making money here. Why don't they have that advertisement down? Or you, you're talking to somebody like you and with you and David's deal, you know, he, you, you ask him questions and he can just tell, I want to be part of that business and I'm going to make you you know, let me be part of that deal. Because once your business and like deal mind is flipped on, you see them everywhere. And I think it's just that same thing about buying the car um, where you notice them all the time. Once you get that in your mind, you can't help it. So I'm, I'm overwhelmed with stuff to write about and I don't have enough time. <laughs> to be yeah. honest. As long as you can not forget. It is like that as when you flip that switch to be an entrepreneur, it's, it's like, it's like seeing the green, the green numbers behind the matrix, right? You start to see I, my, and my wife will give me a hard time about it too. If I'm in a restaurant, I'm doing numbers. I'm counting you know, how much our meal is and how many people are in there. We we've been on this RV trip where we left Austin and we went all the way up through South Dakota and everywhere. And it every one of these, I'm doing like the profit analysis to go, how much did it, because, because the RV, you know, you know, vacation places right now, they're all so booked. And I'm, and I'm looking at that going, so they bought this lot in the middle of nowhere. And then they, you know, they get the sewer, the water and the electrical in here. And then all of a sudden, you know, and so it's everywhere you look at, you're looking at businesses and what they could do, or, you know, why don't they buy the lot next door? It really is um, a mindset thinking. And right now there's just so much of it. You know, because you also see a ton of innovation. One thing that COVID, I think, brought more than anything was a ton of innovation. I, you know, my favorite at the beginning was like these sit-down restaurants that had converted, you know, parking lots into drive-throughs, you know, or, you know, or, or restaurants that they, you know, in, in Northern California, there's this restaurant that completely closed. They weren't allowed to open, but they became the grocery store because groceries didn't have anything. The restaurant still had its supplies. And so they were selling flour and vegetables and the things people wanted, you know, they couldn't get in the stores anymore. You know, so you see, do you have any favorite innovations that you've seen come out of the last six months? Well, this is maybe like a, 
a little bit of a, I don't know, this is a little bit of a downer in some way, but I was, it's just recency bias. I just got off a phone call actually with um, a good friend of mine. She runs a series of uh, gyms in Dallas. It's called Grit mm-hmm. by Brit. And actually, if you've seen any of the Chase commercials recently, she's like a really good looking black chick. She went to Stanford and she's in all these um, sort of online Chase commercials. And um, and anyway, uh, Brittany's uh, studios, we were talking about how sad it is for all the other business owners and that they're going out of business. And she's like, you know, so I've bought some equipment from them. I'm doing some stuff with them. And I was like, um, I'm like, you need to be doing more with them. And she's like, what do you mean? You know, I'm, I'm buying this stuff. I'm like, you're missing the boat entirely. Think about this. For every business that goes under and 60% of businesses that were closed temporarily for COVID have closed forever. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, for every one of those businesses that goes under, they're just, they're, there's a value to it. And nobody is snapping up the closed business value. So I was like, Brittany, get on the phone and call every single one of those gym owners that went under that you know and say, hey, you know, I want to help you out. I realize that this must be a horrific time. I can't imagine what you're going through with your business going under. Maybe there's even a little relief because it's you finally made the decision. Um, But let's make this a win. So what I was thinking is, why don't I buy your customer list. Why don't we bring you into the Brit by Grit family? We'll do a rev share 50% for six months or 50% for a year on all the customers that that come in. We'll have you host like a week worth of classes of going away, you know, and moving to a new family um, series of classes. And um, also, why don't we do that with your top employees? We can acquire them because that must have been tough for you to let them go. Why don't Why don't I acquire those employees? We'll use, um, you know, the fact that those trainers probably have a client base and whatever clients they bring over, I'll give you and them a percentage of that too. And if you even want to, you can say that you sold your business and you didn't, you know, close it down. You can change your narrative entirely. And so, you know, Britt's now gone and done that and spoken to a bunch of these people. And it's the first time she's ever done non-organic growth. Every other time she was, you know, she was gritty. So um, she was out there just growing. And I'm like, those innovations, you don't have to be Mark Zuckerberg. You don't have to be Elon Musk. You just have to see an opportunity and be like, how is this thing that looks like a loss? How could it be a win to your point on, on the grocery stores? How could this actually be a win for them? And the win is, you know, for those restaurants, uh, you know, curbside pickups much cheaper. You don't have to have restaurant employees, the ability to sell liquor in California, you know, at the front of the store um, is pretty incredible. You can like open carry liquor now in many places in, in California. And so those small little wins um, are only there because there's, there's been a, a negative or a, a bad situation that you've got to make good. Yeah. When you're talking about buying a customer list from a, a failing company, I imagine so many of them are like, you can just have it right? Like the, and, and how valuable is that list? And for people in real estate, I mean, that could be the, you know, the restaurant down the street going out of business that actually has emails and phone numbers from, you know, from something and, you know, buying that list to help them buy a house in the neighborhood or help them sell their house. Like, or, you know, just keeping that in mind, just the idea of there's physical assets that are in a business, but what about that other stuff? What about the data? Data is huge right now as we're collecting so much, you know, data, mostly around housing, but it's, you know, foreclosures and vacant houses and who's about to refi. And now, and now people are selling these lists like, Hey, these people, you know, they're, they're, their kid is now in high school, so they're more likely to sell. Or, you know, they're about to have a baby, so they're more likely to buy a bigger house. There's so much data out there. And so if you start looking at all the businesses out there as, you know, customers and talent, there's a lot of, there will be a lot of good talent as it shifts around. And, you know, and that's a big one of your ventures right now. You have like five or six ventures I want to talk about today, but, but we, we can jump into your business one really quick. 
So the, so you guys are, it's that idea of people wanting to buy and sell businesses. And I know there's, there's, Mm -hmm. there's a pitch behind it right now that, you know, before COVID back in February, there was X amount of people planning to retire in the next four to five years. You know, you know, you know, I don't know which age class it was, but people that were entrepreneurs that were to the point in the next four or five years, they were going to sell anyway. And, or they were just going to close shop. Most of them didn't. So there was an opportunity before COVID. Now that's been like amplified. And so what are you guys doing to try to capitalize on that and help people get into, get into that? Cause I think I love our real, I love that all of our listeners are real estate agents, but lately what I've been trying to teach them over the last six months and share is ways to not just be a real estate agent, use that for your income, but now you need to invest. And whether that's invest in a rental, invest in flipping property, starting a construction company, or it could even be investing in one of these other businesses. COVID taught us to have like a well-rounded backup plan because you never know what business is going to shut down. So I, all you listeners, this is a, I think this will be really impactful for you. So go, go ahead. So what are you guys doing in that space? Yeah, it's such a good point. You know, for real estate agents in particular, I mean, to me, and I'm an outsider, I have like a few investment properties, but nothing crazy. I, you know, you guys are all about community, right? You know, you sell inside of communities and neighborhoods and, you know, you're pretty geographically dense usually, uh, unless you're somebody like you and you have a wider, you know, plethora of areas because you have people underneath you. But for individual real estate agents, you know, you have a sort of community that you serve. And so what we talk about at unconventional acquisitions is how do you leverage your local community in order to buy businesses? And so if I was a real estate agent, I was applying our theory, um, I'll give you some ideas on how I would do it. But essentially, I'm in private equity and we run a fund called Entourage Effect Capital that's a cannabis fund and we invest in the cannabis uh, landscape. But what I realized from doing, I don't know, a decade plus of private equity and alternatives investing is that we do something called LBO, leverage buyout purchasing, where we use debt from banks typically in order to buy companies. And we use that leverage to give us a really high rate of return. And we, you know, we don't have enough capital to buy billions of dollars in companies, but we might have enough capital to have a bank back us on it. And what was fascinating is I did this for years. And, you know, the partners in these firms are billionaires. They're on the Forbes 100 list. You know, all the top private equity firms in the world have the richest people in the world in them. And what I realized is, man, I'm doing all of this to make our LPs, which is what we call our investors, a lot of money and to make the firm a lot of money. And I'm a a partner at it. So I make money too. But why why am I not applying this to my own life and to businesses and community? Private equity firms usually buy businesses that are billions or hundreds of millions of dollars all the way down to 10 millions, uh, $10 million in revenue. But in your community around you, there's all these micro PE businesses, which are businesses that do anywhere from it's called $100,000 in revenue to I like to look up up to $5 million in revenue, you can go up to $10 million in revenue. But these are companies like your HVAC, your plumber, your laundromat, your accounting firm, um, landscaping, blue collar businesses. And these businesses, you can use the same exact model that private equity does with something called seller financing. So essentially, Aaron, if you're going to sell me your landscaping company and, you're, and you say, hey, my landscaping company does, let's make it easy, $100,000 a year in profit. So I take home 100K at the end of the year for my landscaping company. Any business below $5 million in sales, they trade at two to three times their profit. So your company, Aaron, would be worth, let's say, $200,000. Now, I might not have $200,000 to buy your business right now, nor might I want to put that much money into one business. So what I would do is I would go to Aaron and say, I want to buy your business. 
I'll give you some money down, but for the rest of it, I'm going to use the future sales from the business to pay you out. And this seller financing, I know used to be a thing in real estate. From what I've heard, it's not as common and it's harder to get, but it's very normal in small business world because only one in 10 to 11 small businesses sell within a year. So there are hundreds of thousands of small businesses that will never sell and you can immediately come into profit from these businesses. Now, like all of this stuff is not rocket science, but it is work. You know, there's no such thing as truly, truly passive income. You got to do some work to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but what I find fascinating is like for a real estate agent, why wouldn't you have your real estate business and then also own, let's say, I don't know, the uh, mortgage company that goes along with it? And why wouldn't you also be able to service if you do like multifamily real estate? Why wouldn't you be able to service your multifamily units with, you know, landscaping or HVAC? You just look at your list of top expenses, pick a few that you use frequently and do a deal with those companies. You might not even need to use seller financing. You could just say, I'm going to switch all of my, my business to you. And so I want a portion of your business for that and I'll help you grow with all these other realtors. So there's all these fun ways for you to become a business owner as opposed to W2 or always in the sales hustle. And I got annoyed that nobody taught that. And so we created a course to do that. It's been fun. Yeah. And, th and there's kind of two different ways, right? So you're going to buy a business and you're going to keep the people in place like what Brit's doing in Dallas, right? You, you could buy a business, keep that spot and go, but we're going to keep all those employees in the location. Sometimes it's about like saying, hey, we don't need three locations in the same town. Let's wrap up the companies and move to one location. And then what about like the landscape company? Because the guy selling his landscape company is probably the one that's been mowing the lawn forever. And he's like, part of why I want to sell is because I don't want to mow the lawn anymore. What do you do when you, when you buy up one of those businesses? Yeah, well, it depends. So there's kind of like two different types of ways to be an owner of a small business. You can be an owner operator. So in your mm -hmm. instance, if, if maybe right now what you do is, you know, you sit behind a desk and you make 50 or 60 K a year and uh, you don't want to be behind a desk and you're in California and it's beautiful outside and you love plants and you want to go do, you know, landscaping for, uh, for, for people, you want to do plants and you want to, yeah, you got to mow grass, but you want to do some other stuff. Then you could be an owner operator. So you operate the business. You'd say, I'm going to buy your business because I'm buying a job, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one way to do it. And a lot of people will do that these days instead of startups because so many startups fail and it's really hard to find product market fit. Um, and so they'll buy their job. You know, they'll say, I want to go operate this bakery or I want to go operate this company instead of starting it. Why don't I buy it? And then I have immediate profit to me and I get to replace my income. But the way that I do it typically, because I don't want to, I can't operate any more businesses. I get enough is I, it's called an owner investor. And so if you're an owner investor, that means that landscaping company, if all it makes is $50,000 a year. And that's not enough uh, for me to hire somebody that I'd probably pass on that deal. But what I might look for is a landscaping company that does $100,000, $200,000 a year. And the guy might still be, you know, might still be operating and doing some of it. But instead of him staying in, I might hire somebody else to do it. You know, my model's always been my fiance is in the military. So we hire a lot of military operators or we hire people in our network to go and run these businesses for us. Or you can just invest in a business. Maybe there's a landscaping business. These people never think that they can sell. It's not like a house. There's not a set process where you know you buy and you sell and you buy and you sell. Most businesses just get shut down. They don't even, they don't even sell them. 
And so, you know, if there's a great landscaping company that's doing a couple hundred K a year, you see the guys really busy, you just start getting curious. You get that like Range Rover mentality again. And you say like, hey man, it looks like you're kind of killing it. Can we talk about what your business is doing and how much? And maybe this is something that I want to invest in. And then what you do is you go out and you buy those little landscaping services and you combine them into his. And you don't have to operate it. You just do the M&A or you just get passive income from it. Or like some of the deals you and I both have, I have a podcast production business actually that sets up this, right? For people every single time they want to do a podcast. And I don't know anything about podcasting, but I invested in a guy. I gave him 10K for the business, which was a steal. Sorry, Jonathan. But uh, <laughs> uh, it makes about 130K in profit right now. And we'll ramp that up to you know probably 250, 300. I don't know if it'll be a 500K profit a year business, but it'll be a couple hundred K. And I just take 40% of those profits and, uh, and he runs it, but I feed him clients. Um, and so that's how I would structure those deals. Yeah, that is, it is some really fun stuff out there as you guys start thinking about businesses. I mean, you, we used to always see ads of like, hey, this pool maintenance company is selling their route or these people are, are selling that. And it's yeah. really easy for other companies to buy it. And it could be an owner operator where somebody goes, hey, I'm tired of what I'm doing. I want to go wash cars now. I want to go be the detailer. I want to go do the pool route. Or it could be somebody that has a pool company right now. And they say, hey, we're just going to buy the route. Hey, Real Estate Rockstars listeners, I'm sorry to interrupt again, but I want to do a quick commercial break, but this commercial break is different. This is stuff that I think you need, and this is me talking to you about some of the stuff that we had. So, you know, recently we had a lot of people reach out to us and say, hey, why don't you do a real estate mastermind? Why don't you do something where a lot of the listeners can get together and do some Zoom calls and ask each other questions and really just try to brainstorm and work together? I mean, there's a million masterminds out there. I don't know if this is something that we really want to do or not, or if we do, if we're going to limit it to maybe 20 or 30 people. We're just trying to figure out if any of you guys are interested. So if you have any interest at all in joining a mastermind with real estate agents around the country that are part of the Real Estate Rockstars Network, go to hybendigital.com forward slash mastermind and just join the wait list. It's just a really a form. It's just an interest list for us to see, is this something we want to be doing? So that's that's number one. Number two, you go to hybendigital.com forward slash foreclosures. We have a two-day thing that we just finished recording. Now it's also inside Rebus University. And so you go to Rebus University and look at it. If you're already a member of Rebus, then a lot of you guys are in the, you know, the monthly fee where you get access to everything. So we have a new course in there, 17 hours of content on how to buy foreclosures, on how to find deals, on how to you know do title, you know go to auction, also turn that into clients for your real estate agents, how you can turn somebody that's in default behind on their mortgages into a client. So go you know check out that course, especially for you know you can you can buy the course now, but again most of you guys already subscribed to all that. I just wanted you to know there's another 17 hours of content. Great, great content that I just recorded on there. Uh, that all of you guys have access to now at Rebus University. And then finally, we have software that we talk about on and off. It's called Padhawk. And in Padhawk, you can use that to go find leads. What uh, you know, so everyone is really, really busy right now. And we're so, so busy. People are selling and they're saying there isn't enough product on the market, right? So they're, they're, they can't find houses. Well, Padhawk will help you find houses before they're listed. It helps you find owners that should be listing their properties or people that might want to get there. I recorded a quick video. It's like six or seven minutes long for you guys to look at, real estate agent specific on what how you can use the software in order to do it. So let's go to hybendigital.com forward slash leads. Again, there's a video in there. I talk about how you can use the software to do it. Check it out. If it's something that you like, you may want to sign up for it. 
99 bucks a month that's nationwide any city out there and it is a great way to find houses so right now people are saying there's lots of buyers but we can't find enough houses well maybe you can use this software you'll find something that hasn't listed yet and make them an offer on their house all right back to your regular scheduled program thank you for letting me interrupt you with that break We bought a company down in San Antonio that was, um, you know, we sell foreclosure lists and there was another company that was selling foreclosure lists. And so we would do the same work, We'd go through the same research, do all the same things, go to the same auction location and have booths set up next to each other, selling the same product for the same price. Right. And so the, we ended up buying that other company because they, as our competitor, it didn't make any sense because again, both of us had the same expenses. So profits were low for both of us in those areas. But as soon as we were able to pur purchase it and we were the best purchaser for it because we could essentially buy it for more than it was worth because we could buy it based on gross instead of net. Because when we yeah. bought that company, we didn't have to buy any of the expenses. We just got to buy the customers and no longer had a competitor. It didn't cost us any more to operate. We were already operating. And so those are, those are kind of some unique partnerships that people will see. If you already have a, a pool company, you're going to be the best person to buy the, you know, the pool maintenance company you know, that has a similar route because you might be able to offer them a little bit more. Or for you, it's more profitable because you already have a guy that does three pools on that street. So really fun stuff. So let's Let's jump to another thing that, you, that I, you've been, I've seen you talk about it a couple of times. The, so you have this thing going with land, you know, and land near, it's kind of, it's the same like RV rental space, right? So somebody told you about, you know, this new opportunity that's out there. You kind of jumped in with both feet and said, well, let me just try this and see how the experiment's working. Tell us about that experiment and is it working? Yeah. So um, it's funny. This my friend, Kate Hancock. Um, she's always got these zany business ideas and she owns a hotel and Thailand and the, or the Philippines, I can't remember. And uh, anyway, we were on a podcast like this and I was, and I'm always curious, like what are other ways I could diversify that sort of have some cross pollination between my interests and desires and some ability to get passive income and or just try a fun experiment. You know, once you do a bunch of these deals, even if you only are making a couple thousand dollars in profit a month or something like that, it's still fun to try. You start to see business as a game, right? Um, and so, uh, so she told me that she started buying land near national parks and land was like $10,000 on average for an acre. And um, with this $10,000, she was making about $1,500 a month because she put campers on this land. She doesn't even have RV hookups. Actually, she might now, but she didn't then. And, and what she would do is, you know, it, on an acre, it's sort of like the RV plot. You can have about 10 campsites per acre is about the norm. And for every campsite, uh, you get a $50 on average charge. And so, you know, she she was basically saying that she had, you know, one of her 10 sites booked for every day of the year. And so was making about $1,500 uh, a month profit on this. And then she's like, what's amazing is there's no, you know, you don't have to clean up in the same way. She just sends somebody weekly to check on trash and to make sure there's no like, you know, vagrants or nobody's staying that they shouldn't be, you know, you don't have to have the, the cleaning fee. You don't have to have all, you know, people breaking stuff and a bunch of property and, and the, the cost to entry is so low. Um, and so I just said, well, that sounds like fun. I'm going to do that because it'd be fun to just own acres by all the national parks. And, you know, for my kids or something one day, I, I give them land. Like that'd be a great gift. You know, I never got that. Um, and so anyway, so I went and, you know, we started looking at land and I'm from Arizona. So we looked at land uh, by national parks in Arizona and uh, by hunting sites. My dad's a big hunter. Uh, and there's a market for people that want to be able to camp next to the hunting sites prior to when they're allowed to camp. 
Um, so we looked at those. We looked at Joshua Tree. So we're actually going there, I think, Sunday um, to look at another site. We just have a friend that uh, is in the military and his spouse is there so they can manage the property. And so the moral of the story is, um, for me, we've bought the land. We haven't monetized it yet, but that's sort of the next goal. And But I don't want to operate them. So I'm going to have in Joshua Tree, I have an individual that will operate these sites. Um, in Arizona, I have another individual that will operate these sites uh, because I don't want to do the day-to-day. -day. I just kind of want to set it up, play around with it, and then let them run with it, and I'll do a profit share with them. Yeah. I, when I first heard this, I thought it was such a new fun thing. And I even, so I added in my notes to like, look for land this week. So that was something that I, that, you know, that became on my to-do list to go all the favorite places I go. And we start, you know, venturing around in RVs. I see even more of that demand, but I thought it was also really perfect for real estate agents. Cause when you talk about that, a $10,000 investment into this fun, new entrepreneur thing, right? And then when they're listing them there, it's sites like Airbnb and other things where they can, you can post them on there and is so much, it, I have to imagine so much lower risk than anything else. And if it makes a thousand dollars a year, it's a good investment, right? You pay 10,000 bucks on something. If you make a thousand dollars a year, it's a good investment. You know, your, your friend is making over that in the, in a month. So uh, it feels like a very low risk, kind of a fun thing, not a huge barrier to entry for somebody with investing. And so uh, I wanted the real estate agents out there to hear this as a fun idea of something. So check out those national parks near you. And the funny thing was, it, I think you said it in your blog and, and I did it too. It's like, are lots really 10,000 bucks near Joshua Tree? Are lots really 10,000 bucks? Yeah, because not all of them are very easy to build on, right? And the, the, value, the inherent value in these is what would it take to put a house there? And not all of them have electricity or not all of them have water, but like some of them do now. So maybe it's $100 a night for those. But there really is lots out there near these places where, you, where the, you know, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, which is perfect for camping. Um, such a fun, you know, quirky new thing. One of your, one of your blog posts or, or newsletters talked about kind of a bunch of different hustle ideas. It was like, hey, if you're yeah. looking for some extra cash out there, here's like 20 ideas. The, you know, can you think of like one or two of those that are kind of your favorite random ones or as many as you want, but the, but just yeah. talk about that for a second. Well, so a couple things. First on the on the camping thing too, check out hipcamp.com, which is where you can go and it's a camping only site. Um, and then if you don't believe that this is a massive trend, because a lot of people are like, no, people don't want to camp anymore. You just Google search, you know, camping today, and you'll see the first like 15 articles are like, you know, camping and outdoor stores are at all time highs for sales. You know, uh, out going, going really, really deep where no one is around is a huge camping trend. So you can post your um, location on a bunch of these like, you know, sort of um, nomading sites. And there's all these fun ways to play it too. Like there's also camping sites I was looking at next to vineyards. So like for your next RV trip, uh, Aaron, there's a site, I can't remember the name, but if you Google that, I'm sure it would tell you where it just lists all of the uh, RV camping locations on vineyards you can go to. If you don't want to go to normal RV hookups, you can go camp only at vineyards, which I thought was really cool. And then the other one that I thought was so fun is it's just yesterday I was looking at a, I really should write down the names, but if you Google like rural land for sale, there's a bunch of these sites where you can buy land for like a hundred bucks and 200 bucks. Now I haven't done much diligence in that. There's gotta be something super flawed if that's what they're selling them for. But I think there's a lot of sites that uh, sell land for much less than $10,000. So I think you can get creative and have some fun with these. And, you know, in the blog post, you'll see 
everything always has downsides. So you'll see, you've got to make sure it's licensed right. You've got to make sure zoning's okay. There's got to be some way for them to drive to it. If it's, you know, in the middle of a canyon, like not very helpful for campers probably. But so there are some different things to think about. So on the, um, so the blog post I think is called 29 Passive Income Ideas. And I had a rant yesterday uh, actually about side hustles because I, uh, I got annoyed. This very prominent person that I'm actually friends with wrote an article that was like, you know, side hustles are now king and they're going to take us out of this recession. Then proceeded to list things like dog walking and uh, listed literally, Aaron, I don't know if I could say this on here, but sperm donation. Um, As and, a side you know, hustle. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> I was like, hey, I bet organ donations great too, but like not sustainable, you know, yeah. like, come on. Um, How scalable is that? It's not scalable. This is a terrible idea. That's, and then there's like some fun statistics on it where it's like uh, in fine print at the bottom, you know, like you are only allowed to donate sperm if you're 5'7 and have a college degree. So like, oh my gosh. What? Yeah, I was so inappropriate. And this is on the California donation site for the state. So um, anyway, so I got mad about this. And I tried a bunch of these side hustles. And I literally signed up for uh, Rover, I think, which is like a dog walking site. And like so my little pictures on there. And, um, and I have a puppy. So I thought, hey, we're just, like, I signed up for the thing where they could bring the dog over and it could stay. And of course, I, I left it on there for like a week, I think. I had my assistant check it out. And uh, nobody responded. And so it's like, of course not, like nobody's traveling, like this is a terrible side hustle. And I get mad about this idea that people say like, side hustling will be great. Most side hustles are terrible. And they're terrible because they don't scale, to your point. They're super low paying. They get more low paying as the competition goes up. And they don't give you new skills. I don't learn anything very applicable if I'm on Rover watching, you know, little fluff ball, right? But the side hustles that I put out there were ones that leveraged 21st century technology. So like, you know, for a perfect example is what we talked about first, unconventional acquisitions, the course, like everybody, I truly think like courses are the new books. So Mm -hmm. you know how lots of people have books now or lots of people have blogs? Well, books really don't make you any money. I mean, even if you're a best-selling author, they really don't. Um, But courses can. And everybody has like some weird niche that they're super good at. And so I put on there like how we launched our course so that other people could do it too on whatever you want to do. I think we did, you know, 30 or $50,000 in the first like pre-launch in that sale. Now I have a little bit bigger network, so maybe that's not super fair, but that's zero ad spend. It's zero focus on it from a marketing perspective yet, just using the people we know. So I think if you go to thinkific, so thinkific.com, that's where you can create a course. So you can check that out. And I think you can do that on many different subjects, how to cook. I mean, how to, I mean, like Marie Kondo made millions off of telling you how to throw away stuff, right? Like, yeah. like it's everywhere. So that's, that's one. And then the other one I'll say, and then I'll shut up and then we can go into any others would be, there's also this, um, uh, there's a couple of different ways to do this, but there are sites that will do all of your back office logistics for you. So like Amazon Sellers, is a site where if you have a graphic tee idea inside of you, or really any clothing graphic idea, they will take the shirt, make the shirt, put it all together, send it out to people, package it, handle returns and everything. And all you do is take the link and post it wherever you want to. So you just do the marketing, they take care of all the backend logistics. So I think that's kind of cool. And I have that same thing on there for notebooks. Like 
I don't know about you, but I like if I look around my office right now, I have like 37 notebooks yeah. of different varieties. <laughs> and uh, and there is a site that will do it all for you. Um, and so that's in the blog too. So you come up with a notebook idea. Like I have the first, actually this one. This notebook was what they gave us at Goldman Sachs. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. This is back when we were smiling and dialing for, for dollars. But it has like the date and then it has numbers 1 through 60 that are like tick marks for all the calls you do. And then 1 through 20 for the people that you're going to call. You're supposed to fill that out the night before. And then like follow-up emails, the people that you get in some notes sections. And so I just created this again for myself because I wanted it at Kinko's. Uh, but I'm going to create it and post it on my website because I think there's a lot of people that are in sales that probably should have the same thing. So I don't have to do any of that. They handle all the creation, uh, logistics, and returns and selling, and I just create it and post it somewhere. I love that you're focusing mostly on the idea that somebody is, everyone is great at something. And everyone is great at something. And, and for as many people that there are that are great at it, there are other people that aren't that wish they were. The idea of a, of a journal and a notebook, like all of us organize our journals and notebooks our own way. Like we get to the new page and we number it a certain way and we do it just like that and being able to say, hey, somebody else might want this and scale it. My wife right now, she's getting ready to release her, our five-hour school week journal. Right. So five hour school week is her, is her brand, which is just blowing up right now with all the homeschoolers that are out there. And the, and they kept asking for, you know, she would write down how she organizes her week and people kept asking for it. So right now she's about to release her journal, which is just all those ideas in her head using a notebook company, like what you said, you know, one of the, and my daughter does this just like that design one reminded me, she designs these vinyl stickers. And she's way into Broadway. She's 13 years old. So she's way into Broadway. She's way into Hamilton and Beetlejuice. Yep. And so she creates these stickers where she opens them up in Adobe and turns like the picture from the thing into like this fun art, right? Like splotches the characters. So you can easily recognize like, oh, this is the three, the three sisters from Hamilton, but there's no oh, brand that. impersonation. She puts it on this website. Every time someone buys a vinyl sticker, she makes a buck. Well, she's making 40 or 50 bucks a month right now on stuff that she designed, you know, six months ago. And so it's a totally like horizontal business for her and she's 13, right? And so oh getting, gosh. yeah, so she'll, she'll do way better than I will. My favorite part about all your hustles, your idea of you wanted to see if the dog walking one was good. So you just signed up, right? Just tried for a week. Anyone that wants to think about anything, reading any of those blog posts, just get into action and try it. Like you can sample these things pretty easily to see if they're going to work for you or not. You could pick 10 side hustles and actually get into action this week and realize that only one of them works the way that you want it to for you. Exactly. I remember my, my Northern California house, the, when I got into Airbnb up here, it was like an accident. I'd been trying to sell it. We wanted to sell our house. We're getting ready to move. And, the, and it's a 6,500 square foot house on 10 acres. And what we learned pretty quickly was people either wanted a 6,000 square foot house that was big and nice, or they wanted 10 acres where you felt like a farmer, but very few people wanted both because it's a whole lot of maintenance for the outside. And if you want to keep a big, nice house, big and nice on that. But the one thing we had was everybody loved partying here. And so I was just at a random thought. I was like, I'm just going to take these for sale pictures and I'm going to put it on Airbnb at 500 bucks a night and see just as a sample. I had heard, I'd heard about Airbnb. This was a few years ago and but I had never tried it. And I just, you know, uploaded some pictures. And the next day I woke up and I had like 30 emails so then I had to take the posting down really quick and be like, okay, so I obviously priced it wrong. So the, now it's a $1,500 a night place. The, you know, COVID made it to where it was crazy. So, you know, June, July, and August, it was booked, you know, 87 out of 90 days um, because everyone from San Francisco, they're like, the hotels are closed. We just want to go swim in a pool. 
us and another family. So it used to be company retreats and things like that. And it would be a couple weekends a month. Well, COVID, everybody wanted to come get away. So your camping idea and everything else changes. But had I not just randomly, I, I randomly threw it on there as like a test. So I, I love that idea that you were like, no, I'll see if anybody wants me to walk their dog. Now, I, I would have, it would have been a more, it would have been a funnier story to me if like eight people had dropped their dog off and you were like, okay, it, funny. It, yeah, it worked, but it's a, it's a lot of work. I'm not going to be a dog walker anymore <laughs> as you, as you run around there. So you, you were talking about businesses. One of your biggest businesses right now is cannabis. It's a huge business. It's been changing kind of all the time. So you talked about valuations of normal companies, two to three times profit is their valuation and the, and is that the same for cannabis? And you know, there's a funny story. So up in, up in Southern Oregon, half the state had you know, legalized it a long time ago and some of the cities hadn't. So about a year ago, one of the new cities said they were going to finally legalize it. My brother was able to go get somebody to sell or finance him a lot in an area where it was approved and he got in line first. And so he got approved to have a dispensary without coming out of any money in his pocket. So then they gave him the license. By doing that, no one else could get one within so many miles. And then he had 30 days. So then he got an investor to bring in a building and then he got somebody to supply it. And now he's got a huge dispensary and, it's, and he's just rocking and he's, you know, he's expanding and he's putting in a couple more dispensaries right now. I'm probably going to buy another one. And so you look at the business and say, some of the states are tapped, but others, there's like so much opportunity other states are like voting on it now. So I guess I have a bunch of questions in one, like what are valuations like? Are people trying to expand into new states ahead of time? Do people have it on their radar? Like, hey, this town might legalize someday, so let's buy the lot now. You know, how big is this business gonna get? Yeah, such a good question. So here's the difference in cannabis versus these blue collar businesses, in my opinion. So when we talk about buying small businesses, you are buying them for their profits that they have today. You're not looking into the future at all from a valuation standpoint and trying to say, you know, this business is doing $100,000, but I think that it can do $300,000 or $500,000, so I'm going to buy it at a premium. The real goal with the small business buying is you're buying that profit stream. When you're investing in this, you know, the, these small businesses, you're not usually investing with them with the idea to sell. You know, you're investing with them with the idea that one day you'll be able to, you know, reap the profits, but not necessarily with an exit. So the cannabis valuations are higher is a long way of saying that. You pay more for these businesses because they have a massive growth opportunity. And it's not that dissimilar to tech, except tech is infinitely scalable and cannabis is not, right? You have like farms and, you know, lots of equipment. And so there's lots of people in my space that invest, but the way that we do it is we invest in companies that do 10 to $20 million in revenue. So these at least, you know, sometimes these are 50, $75 million. So we're investing way later stage. We don't always buy out the companies. Sometimes we just invest alongside other investors. Um, and what we're looking for is for operators to run them and return our capital to us in five to seven years times three to five X of our initial investment. So that's how we do it. And then yes, there are lots of people following the industry and making sure that as new states come on board, that we're looking at what's the opportunity there. I mean, we were just talking to New Mexico uh, yesterday, some dispensaries there, my home state of Arizona, I think that'll legalize shortly. Um, so we're looking at all those varying states. We have 65 companies that we've invested in. Let's call them like 40 are still active, meaning we haven't sold, sold them or sold out of them. And, uh, and they're across the US uh, and one in Europe and one in Canada. Yeah. And, and really cannabis now feels so much like uh, alcohol. 
with the way that it's yeah. the way that it's regulated with how big of a business is with with what it's turning into the now you see you know giant you know grow facilities and manufacturing and people whose you know businesses that their sole job is for testing and businesses that are their sole job is like a distributor like so the the, the grow warehouses can't sell directly to a dispensary there's distributors and stuff in, in the way so this business exactly. isn't if people haven't been researching it this business isn't like a, I don't know it isn't a bunch of hippies right? It's, it is a exactly. giant business that is getting, or if you think, you know, how big is Budweiser? That's how big the biggest, you know, cannabis companies may be, maybe even bigger because right now they're getting to scale at a time where tech does some amazing things. There's only so many things you can do with alcohol. I think the, there seems like there's an infinite number of things right now that people are figuring out to do with cannabis. So it is a, it's a, it's a big, it, it is an exciting business to see what's happening. And, you know, every state is treating it different. And I think along the way, somebody that's, and there's just so much about money, right? Like, yeah. you know, Colorado, when, when they were one of the first, they're like, yes, we brought in X amount of dollars. And then as all these other states are following, it's going to be really hard for states to say no, especially states that are struggling financially. Now, if a, yeah, if a, if a state isn't, you know, there's plenty of dry cities out there that are like, no, we don't, we don't let anyone buy alcohol here. So there will still be places that aren't, but the, but now it's like this business opportunity and it's kind of like, if, if we don't, somebody else will. Yep. I agree with that. Yeah. The only thing I would say as a note of caution is like, I don't go around telling people you should become an entrepreneur in cannabis because it's really yeah. hard. Like it's your, your brother knows this, like more red tape and regulations than ever. It's the opposite of a um, super open industry. It's a super complex industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's really hard to build a business in it. I mean, these, you know, it, it is called weed, but it doesn't always grow like one. There's lots of problems with cultivation and growing and processing and manufacturing. And so, Tech is complex. Not everyone, you know, for good, bad, or otherwise, can go and build the backend technology that you need to do and have all the APIs that connect everywhere in order to do well in tech. And in cannabis, not everybody can handle, you know, complex logistics, complex agriculture, farming, complex regulatory and licensing. Uh, it's not it's not rocket science, but it's it's not easy. And a lot of people underestimate it. And candidly, that's when we take advantage. We take advantage when somebody is distressed because they have not hit the expectations that they thought that they were going to, and we can come in and get deals at you know lower valuations. Yeah, it is a it it is complex. It is not simple, and when you start to see like all those different levels of requirement and licensing and things like that, it sure is different. You know, the just last last couple questions. So the. The world is really interesting. You study lots of different markets. There's you know interest rates, things like that. What do you think? And, it's just, and this is just crystal ball stuff. What do you think is going to happen with real estate? You think that there's going to continue to be right now? People are like, hey, prices are going up like crazy. They've gained fifteen percent in six months. What do you think's next? Oh man, you know, like you said, I don't have a crystal ball. Otherwise, we'd be on my yacht. But you next know, year. I think. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, although these days I just rent it like the jet. I don't think I'd buy one. So here's what I think. First of all, we've been in a decades-long bull run. And as you know, as you well know, and the people listening, real estate's a lagging indicator, right? So things have to go kind of sideways in the economy first, typically, and then real estate follows. And that's, you know, even 2008, people could say, well, that was a trigger. Not really. It was a trigger from financial um, levers that were pulled that had a trickle-down effect to real estate across the board. And so what I get concerned about is we are really... In real estate right now, we've had a very, very long bull market and we have incredibly low rates and we haven't really felt 
the economic effects of the pandemic. Why? Because we've infused billions and billions of dollars into the system and we've actually paid people for not working. Um, and so, and we have, you know, massive amount of PPP loans out there. So there's a lot of juice in the system right now that mm -hmm. at some point we gotta, we gotta pay the piper. And so I worry about real estate because I worry about anything that's at all time highs. It's at all-time highs. I said the same thing in 2018 in cannabis. I came into cannabis publicly in 2000, end of 2017, and I said the cannabis market is going to come down. There will be a crash at some point, um, and I think it's coming this year. And and I was I was right. I'm not always for sure, but the cannabis market devalued. We've been able to pick up a lot of deals in that space, but a lot of people were massively burned. And I think you're going to have the same thing in real estate. The, the good part is whenever there's a downturn, there's two good things. One, if you're not over levered and you can keep your real estate to your first point in the beginning, who cares? If you have a 10 or 20 year time horizon, maybe you bought at the high, but that'll, you know, that'll shake out as the market continues to grow over the long term. But if you over levered yourself, and if you don't have enough cash or enough income to protect yourself, you can get underwater quick, especially with an asset like real estate that requires a lot of cash or debt. And so I worry about that. And I also worry about, you know, I did a Google search. I think you saw this at the Go Abundance event for real estate. And I tried to find a market that was doing poorly in real estate. This was pre riots in San Francisco. Now San Francisco is actually not doing very well in real estate. Um, neither is Portland or Minneapolis. Um, but everywhere else across the country, real estate's at all-time highs. I mean, I like literally couldn't find somewhere that wasn't. Yeah. Um, and even here in San Diego, we were looking at buying and each week the properties would get sold without anybody looking at the place. And these are million dollar, you know, multi-million dollar houses along the coast. So I worry about real estate. You would know more than I do, but from a broad-based economic perspective, I try to stay away from things that are at, at all-time highs. Yeah, the well, it's the same as that. The, you know, the whole stock market analogy. Like if you're if you're going to be in this thing for twenty years, then buying at an all-time high maybe not that big of a deal. But the but you never know. I, I know there's going to be times where we have corrections. Real estate has, and for the last ten years, it's been going up all the time. But if you look back fifty years, it's never just continued to go up. We have we, we do the we do the same stock market wave where it's up and down as it continues to climb. So we're we're waiting to see that. And yeah, there's uh, Gary, Gary Keller talked about it this week. There's like two different economies so far where there's you know a four percent unemployment in the finance industry, but a twenty something unemployment in the service industry. And so people are like, well, why is it still strong? Well, the people that are at four percent unemployment, they're still making plenty of money, and they're not going out and eating every night. So they have plenty of extra savings, and they want to buy a bigger house. So we're going to continue to see, you know, yeah. interesting changes like that in real estate as, you know, as it impacts a lot of different things. And you're right. We haven't paid the piper yet. You know, the stuff, the can has been kicked for a while. And eventually, you know, when you're paying people not to work, which and whether it's good or bad, it's just, it's just affecting the economy, right? Non-politically on, on whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. It is a fact. A ton of money has been dumped in to keep things going. And, uh, and it changes the way the, the, the economic model is meant to be a certain way. But if all of a sudden, you know, a bunch of cash gets thrown in, it changes everything. This was so much fun, Cody. I knew it would be a lot of fun, you know, just to be able to talk to you about a whole bunch of different things. Hope, you know, real estate rockstar listeners, I know that you guys got a ton of value out of this. So, Cody, if people want to come find you for any of that stuff, for your, your business boot camps, your newsletters, all, all that stuff, what's the best way they can find you? 
probably the best way is contrarianthinking.substack.com, which is my newsletter. It's on this funky platform called Substack. It's really cool. If you haven't checked it out for newsletters, I ner- nerd out on that. And then if you want the business stuff, that's at uh, unconventionalacquisitions.com. Unconventional Acquisitions and the Contrarian Thinking. We'll have both of those links in the show notes. Cody, thanks for joining me to talk about stuff. The, I'll have to have you come back in a few months as the because right now, like we said at the beginning, the rules are changing like every 60, 90 days right now. And I'm really, I think it's going to be a fun year to be able to, fun is maybe the wrong word, but I've said before, I am a history buff. I love history. And right now we are living through something that's going to be written in history books forever. So watch where you I can. I couldn't agree more. I, you know what I should do too, Aaron? Uh, we should do a, I always, I'm supposed to do a code. Ryan's going to yell at me to do like Rockstar 20 or something. If you plug okay. it into unconventional acquisitions, they'll, that'll give you 20% off. But don't, I mean, what I always tell people about the business buying stuff, like, if you're on your last thousand bucks or 500 bucks, like don't do this, you know, like stabilize yourself. Um, you yep. know, you come into something like a business buying course or a mastermind when you want to figure out how to add additional layers of income. It's not like a last salvation. So I always give that sort of disclaimer um, up front. But if you want the code, it's it's Rockstar20. And uh, I'll make sure that that hooks you up with a discount for your people. But I get so excited. If I can answer any questions, you know, let me know. I answer the comments on social media and, and everywhere else. I think if we all figure out how to make more money, then that just helps the economy overall and, and our country. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So unconventional acquisitions, the, she, she gave you the code rockstar20. We'll put that in there. And it is great, right? So she said at the beginning, it's not, don't go jump into this right now, but I'm trying to help you guys diversify. Right. Um, so many of our listeners are doing great. So what can we do to make sure that the, we protect ourselves for the future again? Cody, thanks for coming. We'll have you on again soon. My pleasure. Rockstar Nation, thank you for listening to Real Estate Rockstars. Listen, I need a favor. If you find this free content helpful, if you find our downloadable items from each guest helpful, please, I need you to pull out your pointing finger. Yes, the one finger that points at people and hit subscribe Yes, subscribe. The more subscribers we get, the better we look in the ratings and the easier it is to get guests like Robert Kiyosaki, Barbara Corcoran, all the players that are on the million-dollar listing in the different cities. All that stuff makes it easier the more subscribers we get. So please subscribe. And listen, there's a lot of places you can leave comments. There's a lot of places you can like. We're on Facebook. We have an Instagram page. Instagram page is I am Pat Hyben. The Facebook is Real Estate Rockstars Radio. Feel free to leave us comments there. The most popular form of commenting seems to happen on YouTube. Yes, for whatever reason, it's a very open environment. So just go to YouTube and go to Real Estate Rockstars Radio and leave us comments there. Some of them we will read on the show. And we love your feedback. So thanks, guys, and I hope you are having a great day. Oh, and also... Listen, if you're going to subscribe and you haven't already left us a a review on iTunes, please do that too. Have a great day and thanks so much, Rockstar Nation. I really appreciate you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.